0: Hello and welcome to Family Renewal. I'm Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. Welcome again to another edition of the Family Renewal Podcast. I'm Israel Wayne.
1: And I'm Brooke Wayne.
0: We are going to follow up with a conversation we had on our last episode regarding answers for homeschooling. We're going to be working our way through some of the topics that are included in my new book, Answers for Homeschooling, Top 25 Questions Critics Ask. In the last discussion, which you can go back and listen to if you missed that, we talked about the question, are you qualified to teach your child? And uh, we want to move on to something else today. Again, we're dealing with the major questions that people have about homeschooling their own children, but also uh, questions that critics ask. And um, this one uh, is, is less of a question that critics ask and more of a question that parents ask themselves, I think. And that is, um, you know, is the is there one approach that works for all homeschoolers? And uh, I think the question the critics would ask is, you know, are you doing homeschooling right? Are you homeschooling the way it's done in the public school, which has a lot of presuppositions intrinsically built into it. Um, But I think some people who are homeschooling wonder that too. Like, is there one approach? Is there one way um, that everybody should teach their children? And so uh, that's something we want to dig into today. I know you just did a workshop on this for a homeschool conference where you were speaking about a month ago and talked on this uh, topic. Um, What were some of the, the highlights of what you tried to communicate about different approaches and different styles to teaching? Well,
1: I really had a good time doing that. It was fun to talk about different approaches and methods to homeschooling. And one of the things that I wanted to emphasize is in many ways, for homeschooling, homeschoolers who start out, they might start out perhaps with a more traditional textbook approach. That's often the way it goes. Maybe even a boxed curriculum where it's like labeled fourth grade, say, and it has everything you need for fourth grade. And it's a bit of um, a, a easy way to step into the homeschooling world. And then there's different approaches that might include unit studies where you work from the ground up and you tap into resources and uh, events going on in your area, people you know, uh, situations that come up and opportunities, and employ those into your school. And so there's a lot of different approaches, but a lot of times I find we families go through phases where we're where one kind of homeschooler for a while, let's say a little bit more Charlotte Mason approach. And sometimes families change towards the high school years where they're feeling a bit of a need to really buckle down and have maybe more of that textbook approach for those last high school years. So I encourage families, look at, look at this, maybe where, what season you're in now and look at what your pros are. What's your goal? And what are you trying to elicit from your Uh, your your curriculum or your educational choices in the homeschool? What are you trying to instill in your children? One of the pros I see with what is the Charlotte Mason approach is observation, teaching observation. A lot of that's through a nature study and so forth, but also detail to the text of history or literature that they're reading. One of the things Charlotte Mason is well known for is this idea that there's living books, not just dry textbooks full of facts, but living books that explore uh, concepts around that historical moment or thoughts and ideas. And so there's a lot of strengths in that there's some weaknesses I see too. And when I like what Israel did in this book so well of taking pros and cons for each of these different methods, what are some of the other methods that you presented?
0: That was something that was very important to me in developing this chapter was to talk about how there are upsides and downsides to every approach. Um, Every family's different. Every child's different. And so there usually is not a one size fits all uh, where, one approach works for all families, but, but even within a family, sometimes uh, the, the same approach doesn't even work w- with different children. Right. Um, you may have a child who adapts well to one methodology and another student whose personality type or learning style is completely different, and they may not relate to that approach at all. Um, and that can be a challenge um, if you, as a teacher, have a certain teaching style and your student has a learning style that's different than your teaching style. Like say you like a a curriculum in a box approach where you have traditional textbooks and the lesson plans are laid out for you and that's all very comfortable and it's kind of a paint-by-numbers kit. You know, you just follow the rules, you do what you're told. Um, If you have a child that doesn't adapt well to that, that can be a bit of a frustration. So some of the approaches I talk about, of course, traditional textbook, um, I find that's the one that... A lot of people feel the most comfortable with coming from a government school background or at least a traditional um, classroom background, even Christian schools, um, they'll be familiar with that approach. And so that's when they think about schooling or education, that's what comes to their mind. Right. And so that's the one that's going to be the easiest for most of them to plug and play with. But oftentimes, um, as time goes on, they begin to expand outside of that and to consider other approaches. One approach that's very popular now that was not really a thing when you and I were being homeschooled back in the 1980s is online schooling.
1: Right. Um, Although you could equate it a bit with the video schooling that you grew up with.
0: It it was somewhat similar, although online schooling can be very interactive where you you have timed tests and things like that. So we we didn't have that because, well, we're not going to give our ages, but (laughs) Al Gore hadn't invented the Internet yet. So we... um, have really not used this very much with our own students for a number of reasons. And maybe we'll do a podcast on that. Right. Um, we're not against technology, but we see a lot of downsides to technology and um, you know, we want to use the best of it and avoid the worst of it. Right. And so uh, this is, so one. let me
1: jump in with a couple of pros. I see it with online schooling, yeah. even though we have not chosen it for ourselves. Like we mentioned in our last uh, podcast, Our oldest son is interested in doing physics. That's an area that's a little bit beyond my knowledge and experience. And so I could see something like that being a really good option for for him. We are not going to do that right away, but I'm keeping that in the back of my mind. So I could see that or a time perhaps of an illness in the family might be a really helpful time when You just need to have the academics kind of roll on its own to a certain extent as far as grading, as far as coursework being laid out, some accountability for a child who maybe isn't very disciplined at the moment, not as self-governed as maybe, or independent study as they may hopefully grow on to be later. So I think those are some definite pros. Cons would be the price often can be quite um, expensive per child per year, and then Obviously, as homeschool parents, it's not just about putting information into our child. And while a lot of the online programs, I'm sure, are very good as far as what the knowledge is that they're teaching, there's a way of life that we want to pass on to our children in a a love for learning and discussion about what we're learning, how to apply that that learning in a way that helps instill wisdom in our children.
0: Yeah, and definitely for... um... The Christian parent, uh, we're looking at this from the viewpoint of discipleship. And so Jesus said that when a student is fully trained, he'll become like his teacher. Well, we don't want our child to become like a Mac or a PC. (laughs) I'm being a little facetious there, but I I think you get the point that basically uh, we want to make sure that our children are uh, bonding with us relationally rather than bonding relationally with a machine. And unfortunately, we see a lot of teenagers in the United States who are so addicted to digital media that they really know how to relate to an impersonal screen, but they don't know how to relate to people. And so, you know, there are pros and cons. We talk about more uh, than just those in the book. Uh, One more pro that I'll put in there is I think for a lot of single parents who end up having to work outside the home, you know, you could have a situation where a grandparent is on site – and can be there physically present with the student to make sure that the student is doing their coursework and hopefully make sure that they're staying on task. They're not just surfing the internet, you know, going anywhere online. Um, but that allows the parent then to be able to work and come home at night and still be involved in looking over the progress and, uh, perhaps being involved in um, grading the work, if, if that's not done automatically online, but but at least you know going over the coursework, asking questions, finding out what the student is learning. Um, those are things that even a single parent can do as long as they have somebody to be there to help facilitate um, the the childcare side of it, so they're not just you know abandoning their child all day. And I think there are uh, other pros and other cons as well, right. and again, we we deal with that uh, within the book. Um, Another approach that we talk about is unit studies, and unit studies are kind of hard to define, but I'll give it a stab here for people who aren't familiar with the concept. Um, The concept of a unit study is where you take a topic and you try to build your entire curriculum around that topic. One thing I talk about in the book is my own childhood. Uh, I had a stage when I was about nine years old where I just didn't have any interests, and I didn't want to study and I didn't want to learn. And the only interest that I had was baseball. And so my mother very wisely uh, surrounded my whole uh, education around baseball. And um, actually looking here, I did not include that in the book. Uh, I think I talked about it maybe in education. Does God have an opinion?
1: Yeah, I think talked about did. it
0: Or maybe somewhere else in this book. But <laughs> at any rate... So so this was um really before the unit study method was even a popular thing. I I know the first uh homeschooling magazine that came out talking about unit studies came out in 92 and that was the first time I'd ever heard of it and I was graduated by then. So my mom was kind of doing um for for one year with me she did a unit study approach. Not not any other time in my life I did mostly traditional textbook Um, But anyway, she took uh, baseball and she made everything that I studied that year center around that topic. So I had to um, study the history of baseball, which included topics like integration uh, of the um, African-American community into baseball because you'd had segregated leagues before that where you had the Negro leagues and the white leagues. And so that led into a whole study about the issue of segregation, particularly in the South um, you had a lot of uh, economic issues, you know, particularly studying um, the, the New York Yankees and Babe Ruth and all of that and the Great Depression and how baseball was kind of a retreat for people away from the stresses of their situation and the economy and their businesses. And baseball became a bit of a, an escape. And so just studying about the Great Depression, studying uh, physics, Uh, I had to write a report on what makes a curveball curve. I learned how to do percentages and averages uh, by learning how to calculate uh, batting averages and ERAs on baseball cards. Um, I actually had to write a report. Get get this, I'm nine years old. I had to write a report as though I was pitching uh, the development of a new baseball stadium to a city, and I had to uh, give them a development plan that would show how much potential revenue we could make throughout the year. If ticket sales were X amount and we could sell X amount of tickets, uh, how much revenue we would have, how much it would cost to build the stadium, how long it would take to pay back uh, the initial investment. And, you know, it's just a a kind of an economics and almost law and government um, aspect of it. Um, Man, everything. So I had writing assignments. I did math. I did science, history, history. Everything was all surrounded with baseball. And, man, that's some incredible flexibility that you can have. Now, it's very time-consuming. Yeah. Um, when I was nine years old, my mom had the luxury of being able to do that more effectively than she would years later uh, when she had six children and a business to run. And you know what I mean? It, it, mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the kind of thing that everybody can do at every season of life. So it's not going to work well for every person. And I talk about some of the upsides of unit study, the flexibility of being able to create and customize your own curriculum. But one of the downsides, obviously, is it's a phenomenal amount of work. Um, Right. For the parents. For the parents. Now, you can buy pre-made programs that are developed by Mm -hmm. other people. So Mm -hmm. let's say that my mom, which she didn't, but let's say my mom had saved her work and created a customized baseball unit study then theoretically people could go out and buy that baseball unit study and use it with their children. And there are a lot of programs like that where people have created a unit study and then turned around and sold it as a commercial product for other people.
1: And I think a lot of families actually do this. Most of us do this anyways. We go um, maybe hear a concert about Bach and we start studying something from that era or even go to an Italian restaurant. You start learning a couple Italian words. So I think there's a, a, just it's a way of life that some people really tap into in a major way. And it's really kind of a neat thing to do, especially sometimes fun around the holidays or over summer break.
0: Yeah. So we have some other approaches that we talk about in the book Uh, besides the traditional textbook and uh, unit study. um, There's also the classical model, which is one that is very popular. And uh, the classical model, obviously, there's a lot of variance, uh, depending on which curriculum company uh, is promoting it. Um, You have several publishers that are very popular, and I guess we'll just leave them unnamed for the podcast here. But um, they're not all the same. They don't all have the same ideas. I think the, the thing that's the most common or uniform among them is the teaching of the trivium, which is Latin logic and rhetoric or grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Um, and then some of them incorporate the quadrivium, which is arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. And um, it's an approach that sort of talks about how uh, you really start with language, and uh, reading and comprehension first, and then you get into logic and learning how to think and ask questions, and then rhetoric, being able to uh, articulate it through writing and through speech and those kinds of things. We talk about um, some of the upsides of classical education and some of the downsides of classical education. Uh, We discuss those in the book. Another approach that we discuss is the topic of unschooling. And unschooling is actually a formal movement that was begun in the late 1970s by a guy named John Holt. He was not a Christian, um, and he had a view that students would learn best outside of a classroom, but also outside of a traditional approach to academics. So a lot of unschoolers incorporate very little textbooks or traditional school books of any kind into their learning, they tend to incorporate a lot of hands-on uh, outdoor education uh, or, or just life learning. And uh, we discussed some of the upsides and some of the downsides of unschooling and um, especially how it relates to a Christian worldview since it um, really was originated outside of the Christian faith. There are some people who have tried to create a modified version of unschooling that conforms more towards a Christian worldview. Uh, Mary Hood would be one with her relaxed homeschooling concept, and then also a newer concept uh, called life schooling, which is a newer term, I should say, that sort of incorporates this kind of idea. Um, Chris Davis would be another guy who I think would embody that kind of life schooling uh, approach. And so uh, we talk about those kinds of things, and then delight the directed learning. Um, some people may associate that with uh, Homeschool Pioneer Greg Harris, and there are some others who have, um, you know, taken that approach and promoted it uh, after him. But it, it kind of has uh, some of the same ideas as unschooling and allowing children to pursue things that they tend to be gifted in or interested in, uh, and allowing them to really go deep in studying a particular interest that they have. So if your son is interested in aeronautics or your daughter is interested in biology or whatever it is, they can really dive deep into those particular subjects and you have the ability to kind of allow their interests to drive their learning. And um, so we discussed that as well, some of the pros and cons of that. And then uh, Principal Approach is a program that was developed by two educators in the 20th century, Verna Hall and Rosalie Slater. And principal Approach is really covering um, seven foundational principles of learning. I'll just read them to you. Um, They include God's principle of individuality, the principle of Christian self-government, the principle of Christian character, conscience as the most sacred property, the Christian form of our government— Planting the Seed of Local Self-Government and American Political Union. And uh, again, we talk about the upsides and the downsides. We won't have time to get into all those uh, on the podcast. But again, uh, we strongly encourage you to pick up a copy of this book or to hand the book on to friends who are looking for more information uh, about what options are available to them because we're really walking you through the major Uh, approaches or um, homeschooling styles, if you will, um, that have been dominant within the last um, 30 years or so. Then there's also the Charlotte Mason approach, and Charlotte Mason was a British educator who lived from 1842 to 1923. Um, She has a series of six books that outline her educational philosophy, and um, those books were really brought back from obscurity uh, or or relative obscurity into our generation by Susan Schaefer McCauley, who was um, the daughter of the late Dr. Francis Schaefer. And then Dean and Karen Andreola uh, had her books republished in the 1980s and reintroduced them to this generation. And again, I talk about some of the upside and the downside of Charlotte Mason. I have some differences Uh, with some of her theological views, which I talk about in the book. Uh, But she also had some good ideas regarding methodology, and I think that we can utilize and implement some of the good things that she taught without necessarily embracing every idea that she had. Um, And then finally, uh, the eclectic approach, which is sort of the box where you throw everything else. And uh, it's the it's the catch for all of the uh other uh approaches that you may have and and there are lots of other things that people do field tripping and scrapbooking and lap booking and making up their own curriculum and and just having kind of a hybrid of different approaches and and we've done that at times we've had um, and we have a very strong emphasis on reading real books especially uh, historical biographies mm-hmm. and uh older uh, first source history books. And we um, tend to draw a little bit, I think, from classical education in terms of the the model of grammar and then logic mm-hmm. and rhetoric. I mm-hmm. think that kind model is one. That, of expectations yeah. of
1: expecting to put a lot of information in the young years. Just feeding our children information and then helping them reason through that at an older age. And then expecting, okay, now give out from what you've learned and write and read and speak.
0: Yeah. And and a little bit of unit studies and I mean we've kind of merged a lot of these ideas at times mm-hmm. uh, over the years. And so I think a lot of homeschoolers end up more eclectic sometimes the longer they go. Um we may have mentioned this before on the podcast I can't remember but for you and I we were both raised with fairly traditional textbook approaches. I think your mom probably had the luxury of being able to supplement a lot more with co-op classes and field trips Mm -hmm. and uh, other types of experiences.
1: Right. I think there was a lot of the Charlotte Mason unit study kind of approach, especially in my um, elementary, junior high years.
0: Yeah. And and you were very interested, very influenced rather by um, Raymond Dorothy Moore. Yes. And then we've talked about that and um, they would be kind of along the delight. Directed learning yes. approach, mm-hmm. and um, they have a a model that they have coined called the the more formula. I think is what it's called, and uh, you know, really, it's kind of similar ideas to delight directed learning. It, mm-hmm. it would kind of fall into that category. So some people may wonder why I didn't address the more formula. Um, you know, definitely, you know, falls into that delight directed learning mm-hmm. education. But my point is that as we've gotten older as parents, as our children have gotten older, we have nine now, oldest being 17, uh, the youngest is two, um, we really have moved back to more structure. Yeah. Just because um, time is such that we really like having a curriculum that has the lesson plans laid out for you. And so that's something that we're finding is kind of ironic because I think we sort of decided we weren't going to do that when we first started homeschooling and we were going to just be more eclectic. And now we're becoming more um, traditional.
1: Right. And I think it's helped just as far as helping um, youngsters learn independent study and being able to uh, help each one be at their grade level. And I still love the concepts that I have from learn from these different methods, and I, I try to approach them and, and just bringing them into ways I can, such as, for instance, we do group studies with several different subjects. I have about four or five students in one of my science classes that I teach in our home, just to our family. I'm not, not a formal class, just our own family. And so there's a lot of give and take and what would be called narration, according to the Charlotte Mason Method. And then, with the um, aspects I have gained from the principal approach, I like teaching our history with that self government uh, mindset of this is this is the spheres of influence each of these governments has, and just being able to hearken back to that and quote some of the great thinkers throughout history. So I think there's just approaches that we come across, and we've we've tried out, and some of them haven't worked for us. Some children um, don't relate well to certain types. I have some that you couldn't get to narrate very well at certain seasons of their lives, narrate in the Charlotte Mason sense being to to speak back what they've gained, to tell back the story. And yet later on, maybe they do better at that. So I have kind of gained this idea through our experiences that with the subjects that a child finds the most difficult, it's always best to cater to the child's personality, the child's uh, what they're what they're geared towards. Are they visual? Are they auditory, etc.? And then in all the other spheres of learning, this other subjects, I try to kind of start edging them towards areas they may not be that good at. For instance, if I have a very visual child who cannot seem to hear any instruction and keep it in his mind, I'll start playing more history audiobooks and try to help them gain some experience in different areas. You know, being able to branch out a little bit beyond their traditional way of learning.
0: I think another thing that we've really found is the trust factor is difficult, um, especially with literature. And we did two whole podcasts on literature. But there are resources sometimes that you... Hope You Can Trust, because there are recommended reading lists from Christian publishers, for example, um, or there are materials that are published by Christian publishing houses, and you buy them, and sometimes you go through them, and you realize, oh, this doesn't actually have a biblical worldview. Right. It's saying things that are not theologically sound, or it's teaching things that are false. And um, we've really gravitated over the last five years or so very strongly towards master books, not exclusively, Uh, We appreciate Cornerstone Curriculum and use some of their materials as well as other publishers here and there. Uh, But we've just found that we really trust the materials that come from Masterbooks, that they are going to be presenting a biblical worldview. And uh, so we know when we buy something, it's going to be good. Right. And so that helps us in terms of our investment, that we're not having to buy something and then be disappointed and be out hundreds of dollars because we've invested in something that just has disappointed us. And uh, the other thing about them is that they're the only Christian publisher that I know of that has a a faith grower guarantee, a money-back guarantee, that if this curriculum does not help your child's faith to grow, they'll give you your money back. Mm -hmm. I don't know any other Christian publisher that does that. And so we encourage you to check out their website, masterbooks.com, and um, you can get PDF previews of all of their curriculum, so you can look at it. And what I love about their material, besides the fact that it's presented with a biblical worldview, is it's, it's laid out in a way that's easy for the student to understand right. so that it can be very self-guided and self-directed by the student uh, with the lesson plans and all that. They can go and easily understand what they're supposed to do for that day, right. and then they check it off. And all we have to do is kind of follow up and, and make sure they've done the material and that they've understood it. And so, especially with our older ones, um, it really helps us from a, a logistical time standpoint. Um, because when you have a big family and you have limited time like we do, um, we're just finding that it's really helpful to have that. And then also with that aspect of you know, are they covering what they need to know, um, they also have very helpful um, accrediting information for people who are keeping track of transcripts and that where you know this coursework would apply for this many credits on a transcript for, for parents that are doing that kind of thing, right. trying to get their students college ready.
1: Well, it's very handy when there's a built-in scope and sequence.
0: Yeah. And so anyway, we you know love a lot of different kinds of publishers, but that's one that our family in particular really loves and uh, appreciates. We hope you'll um, check them out as well as cornerstonecurriculum.com. Uh, we use uh, and appreciate a lot of their material as well. Both publishers have a very strong emphasis on Christian apologetics and biblical worldview, which is what we're all about. And so, again, we hope you will visit our website. Um, Our sign-up sheet for our email list is at familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe. We hope you'll go on there and sign up for our email newsletter so we can keep in touch with you and let you know when we're going to be speaking in your area Uh, And also that you will connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash family renewal and also forward slash Israel Wayne author. We are on Twitter at Israel Wayne and on Instagram at family renewal. Uh, We are grateful for your prayers and your support. We're going to keep going through these answers. So the next uh, edition of the podcast will probably come to you with a, a different question related to homeschooling and, um, We look forward to uh, our next encounter with you here on the podcast.
1: Well, thanks for listening today.
0: God bless you. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation. For more information on Family Renewal, the writing and speaking ministry of Brooke and Israel Wayne, please visit familyrenewal.org.